We now move to a place where we discuss God the Son. And next week, Martin will be looking at the incredible reality of God coming to earth as a human being. The technical term for this is the incarnation. So next week, we'll be really getting to grips with that incredible truth. The fact that God the Son became a human being and lived among us. But this week, we're going to focus on the central reason... Sorry about my throat. I, was like, I'm, I sound like my voice is breaking again. Central reason. Central reason as to why God the Son came to earth. We're not going to look in detail as to the fact that God did take on humanity. We're going to, we're going to focus today on the main purpose of that. God the Father sent God the Son to the earth. But why? What was the reason? It was a rescue mission. We actually sang in one of the songs that John and Anna chose this morning about the fact that Jesus rescued the world. It's a rescue mission. Jesus' miraculous birth, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection mean that we human beings can be reconciled to God. Let me illustrate it in this way. I had a paper cup around. Is there one still around? Someone cleared it up. Ah, it's all right. I'll use this this box of pills instead. It'll be fine. So, so imagine that this box is me, or you, uh, and there we are in God's hands, safe in God's hands. And yet, because of our imperfection, because of our sin, because of the fact that we are independently deciding to go our own way from God, we jump out of God's hands. And we are separated from him. Here's God in this high, lofty place. And there's us, separated from him in the depths and in this low place. And the reality is, how can we get from there to there? Because we've decided to move away from him. How do we get from from this low place back into this lofty place? And do you realize that every other religion right across the world aspires for people to try in some way or other to climb back up to that place. And yet the Christian faith says something so different because it is impossible for us to come back up. There was only one way to accomplish reconciliation for us and God, and that was for God to reach down. And that was what was achieved when Jesus came. See, we had no way of rescuing ourselves. But Jesus came to us, God in human form, and he rescued us. And what we celebrated today, as these people were baptized, is tied up in what happened when Jesus came to earth. Their response to God is based upon the fact that Jesus rescued them. That his death on the cross paid the price for their sins, brings them into relationship with God. And this is glorious truth. This is a wonderful reality. And we're going to dig down a little into it today as we look at it. So let's start by looking at the main two reasons why Jesus came to earth and died on the cross. I want to suggest to you that the main two reasons are tied up in the character and the person of God and the nature of God. And with this in mind, 
I'm proposing that the first reason is about the love of God, and the second reason is about the justice of God. Let's just spend a moment or two looking on these, looking at these things, focusing on these things. Firstly, the love of God. The Bible tells us very clearly that God is the source of all love, that he invented it, that it stems from him. We're going to read a little section of a letter that was written by a man who was the closest friend to Jesus when Jesus was on the earth. This man who was called John wrote a letter to some of the early churches, and this is what he writes in 1 John chapter 4 from verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son into the world to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And we know and rely on the love that God has for us. And so here, in this passage, in this very brief passage, we have all three persons of God Mentioned just in this one section. The Father sending, God the Father sending, God the Son. The fact that God the Holy Spirit has been given to us. It's all going on here. Just in this passage. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 14, we've seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And then, finally, very relevant to our baptism service today and to our candidates, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, that happened today, did you notice? God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. So Jesus coming and dying on the cross is the ultimate act of love. This is illustrated further by the same writer, this man called John, as he quotes Jesus himself speaking to a religious leader. It's the most quoted verse in the entire Bible. John 3, verse 16. So, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The love of God. Jesus came and died as an act of love. Close, Ellie. Thank you. Let's look at the other element, the justice of God. Sometimes when we talk about justice, we can sound a little bit harsh. We're clear here we're talking about justice. We're not talking about revenge. And actually, there's something within us that cries out for justice, isn't there? Have you noticed that? When we hear terrible reports about people being hurt or harmed or assaulted or abused. There's something within us that cries out for justice. 
How much more does a perfect God demand justice as he looks at the human race with our imperfections and our faults and our failures? Every wrong thing has to be paid for somewhere by someone. And when we think of wrong things, we may sort of look at our newspapers or we look at our televisions and we think, well, actually, I'm not too bad. Compared with that person or this person, I'm actually quite a good egg, really. And we can feel pretty okay about ourselves. But our difficulty is with the fact that God is completely perfect. And we are not. We're not perfect. I love Disney. I love Disney films. But somehow... There's this concept at the end of a Disney film that everything's perfect. I think our, our children are sold a lie by Disney. Don't want to do down Disney too much because they do some fantastic stuff. But, like, the wedding, like the prince marrying the heroine, all that happens. And it's, it's the sort of conclusion is that is it, happily ever after. It's the perfect moment. And, you know, and when people get married, all is perfect. I just wonder whether there are a number of married people in the room who might just think, well, when you get married, it's great, but I'm not sure it's perfect. I'm not sure it's perfect. Is perfect the word I would use? Helen and I, when we got married, in the very early stages of our, our marriage, one or two of you will have heard this story. It's a fair point, John, but I'm going to proceed. <laughs> Early stages of our marriage, we, um, we lived in a, a little house um, uh, with a, a shower room. Didn't have a, a bathroom, just had a shower room. And I fitted the shower curtain because I'm very good at DIY. <laughs> and, I, and I made it a little bit long. So one day I was in the shower and the shower curtain was covering the drain of the shower, which I sort of didn't really notice, to be honest. I was happily showering away with, um, with the, um, the water coming up to, I nearly said my thighs then, it didn't come up that high, but came up to sort of my shins and it was sort of flooding out over the shower tray into the floor of the shower, which was then sort of leaking down through the house, through the ceiling, etc., and partway through my shower, I suddenly noticed that this whole thing was going on. So I sort of thought to myself, oh dear. Helen was out shopping, so she had no idea what was going on. So I wrapped a towel around me and I ran downstairs to have a look at what was going on. Uh, and, I, and as I got downstairs, there were various issues. Um, but, <laughs> but for some reason, my attention was focused upon this one issue, which was this light switch with water pouring out of this light switch. And I thought to myself, that's not good. <laughs> or words to that effect. And so, in a moment of what might be regarded as irrational decision, I whipped my towel off, screwed it up, and I pushed it against the, the light switch to absorb all the water. Right? So I am now standing there, naked, holding this towel against the light switch, with a very intense look on my face, face, as Helen comes in through the door, 
after being shopping. Bear in mind, we haven't been married for very long at this stage in time. She sees me standing there. I think at that moment, she concluded that married life probably wasn't going to be perfect. And no one is perfect. If I asked you to come up here today and tell me, I don't know, say the worst thought that you'd ever had about someone else, another person, I'm not sure I'd have many takers in this room. No one's going to want to come up here and admit their worst thought. And that illustrates that actually you and I, we don't live up to the standards we set for ourselves, never mind the perfect standards of God. In fact, a writer called Paul in his letter to the church in Rome, he says, all have sinned and all fall short of God's standard. That's Romans 3.23. And the things that we do and say and think that are wrong, actually they have to be dealt with. They have to be paid for. It's the justice issue. They cannot be swept under the carpet. If God is perfectly just, if God is perfectly fair, a price has to be paid. Justice has to be done. So either we have to pay for our sins, we have to pay for the things we've done wrong, or someone else has to pay for them. But who's going to pay? See, my problem is, I can't pay for Dave's sins. I can't go to God and say, I'm here to sort out all of those things, those many things that Dave has done wrong. (laughs) Here I am, God, to sort them out. I'm here on behalf of Dave to pay the price for his numerous sins. The reason I can't do that is because I've got my own sin to worry about. How can I represent Dave before a perfect God when I'm full of imperfections myself? I can't. The problem with the human race is we're all in the same boat. And it's the Titanic. We all fall short of God's standard. So what we need, need, what we need in order for God's justice to be satisfied is for a perfect human being to come before God as a representative of the human race to offer to pay the price for our sins. Anyone know where I'm heading here, I wonder? This is where God's love and God's justice meet. This is the place where we find the perfect combination of God's love and God's justice is outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem around A.D. 30, nailed to a Roman cross. And we're right back to that verse in that letter that John wrote. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Boom! There we have the collision of love and justice. They come together at this point. The price has already been paid. All we need to do is acknowledge our failings, our imperfections, our sin, turn away from them, put our faith in the one who's paid the price. The only human being who lived a perfect life and then died for us. We need to do what the guys in the baptismal pool have done. They've admitted the problem in their life is sin. They believe that the solution is found through Christ's death on the cross. And because of this, they've decided, I'm going to live a different way. I put Jesus at the very center of my life, asking him to take control of my life and guide my life. So the love of God and the justice of God, they combine in this eternal rescue mission. Let's just consider very briefly three other things. Firstly, without the cross, this is quite controversial these days, 
but I'm going to say it. Without the cross, we would be physically punished for our sins. Not many preachers mention it, but I do need to tell you, hell's a real place. It's a place of permanent pain. But Jesus suffered physical pain in order that we can be rescued from that place. Crucifixion was the most barbaric and inhumane form of punishment, form of execution known to man. The pain associated with crucifixion was literally beyond words. I've mentioned this before. They had to invent a new word to describe the intense agony of the cross. And that word was excruciate, which literally means out of the cross. So imagine a pain so terrible and so awful and so barbaric that you have to invent a new word to describe it. So Jesus suffered physical pain so that we don't have to. But some would argue that even more terrible than the physical suffering that Jesus suffered was the experience of the psychological pain associated with bearing the guilt and the shame of our sin. Do you know what? In our own experience, we know something of the anguish when we, we feel when we've done something wrong. Anyone relate to that? I remember Sandra mentioned, you know, struggling with guilt. The weight of guilt can weigh heavy on our hearts and there's a bitter sense of separation from all that's right and all that's good in the world. And, and, without, that, and without the cross, we carry that pain, that guilt, that shame around with us forever, for the whole of eternity. That deep shame, that regret of the things done and said that have harmed others or have harmed ourselves But out of love, in our place, Jesus took that on himself. It says in the Bible, the author of the book of Hebrews says that Jesus was offered once to bear the sins of many. Another very close friend, possibly the second closest friend of Jesus whilst he was here on the earth, a man called Peter writes in one of his letters in 1 Peter 2.24, he himself, meaning Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree. And then the message version of that puts it like this. He used his servant body to carry our sins to the cross so that we can be rid of sin, free to live the right way. So we have a bit of an insight, don't we, into how guilt and shame make us feel. We've all been there. But let's just bear this in mind. Jesus was perfectly holy. Unlike us, he didn't have a fallen nature. He hated sin with his entire being. The thought of evil contradicted everything within the character of Jesus. And yet, in obedience and in agreement with God the Father, God the Son, out of love, took on himself all of the guilt and the sin of the human race. He did that so that we can be free of guilt and shame associated with all the stuff that we've done wrong. There's a time during Jesus dying where that happens. And there's a time where Jesus dies where we find another consequence of our sin or what it would have been. Another consequence of our sin would have been permanent and eternal separation from God. 
we would have been completely isolated from God the Father, from the source of all goodness, from the source of all love, completely isolated from him. But again, as we look at the cross, we find Jesus dealt with this on our behalf. There's a time during Jesus' dying where, and Jesus' death where he is separated for a period from God the Father. And this is illustrated by Jesus' cry on the cross. Matthew 27, 46, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God the Father turned his face away from his precious Son. Something very interesting in Habakkuk chapter 1. It's a, a book in the Old Testament with a great name. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 says, Your eyes are too pure. Talking about God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. And this relates to the previous point, actually. All of, all of the sin was placed upon Jesus, and for a time, this created a separation from God the Father who would not look upon sin. Just get to grips with the fact, for the first time in eternity, there was a separation between these persons of the Trinity. And yet, it's really important to say that this glorious mystery of God, in all of I've just explained, none of this changed the love that God the Father had for God the Son, and none of this changed the love that God the Son had for God the Father. There was no breaking in that love. There was just a separation for a time, which they both agreed was the process by which you and I can be saved and rescued. So what we're discovering here is that when Jesus Christ, God the Son, God in human form, died, a number of things happened. Firstly, we find the reconciling of the love of God and the justice of God. Secondly, we find that we are set free from physical punishment. Thirdly, we find that we are set free from the guilt and the shame associated with all the stuff that we've done and said and thought that's wrong. And finally, we find that we are free from separation from God, which he, who is the source of all love, the source of all power. So we can be reconciled to him forever. And so if you're here today and you're not sure you're a Christian, then can I encourage you to take your very first steps of faith? If you're here today and you've drifted from God and you have been struck by what I've said about Jesus and all that he's done for you, maybe it's time to draw close again. Let's just conclude by closing our eyes. <coughs> I want to pray for us. First of all, I just want us, in the quietness of this moment, to pray, to come to God, and in the quietness of our own minds, just Make a decision. This is a day where I'm going to make another step on my journey of faith. I need to draw close to you. Or I need to even come to you for the very first time. I'm just going to have a moment of silence where people might want to, it's just between you and God, people might want to pray that sort of prayer. Maybe for the very first time or maybe as like a recommitment coming back to God. Let's just be quiet before him. Give opportunity to pray right now.
just keep our eyes closed just for a moment. Maybe this has been a significant moment for you, a significant day for you. If so, just as we've got our eyes closed right now, if you've made that response to God for the first time or you knew you drifted from Him and you're taking a step back towards Him, where you're sitting now, would you just raise your hand? That's relevant to you. just pray. Father, I want to say thank you for your wonderful love and power at work in our lives. And I want to say thank you, Father God, that you sent your Son to rescue us. And today we put our faith in you and look to you as our Savior and as our Lord. Help us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please open your eyes. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you so much, Terry. We're going to continue that series next week. That is the formal end of our meeting now. Uh, So parents with small children, especially, if you could go and collect them, that would be brilliant. We're going to be serving refreshments at that end of the building. There's going to be a prayer team available down here. If you'd like to receive prayer for yourself or on behalf of someone else, please do come and receive prayer. Otherwise, we'll see you shortly. And remember, the prayer meeting tonight is at 6.30. Thank you.